So today I want to talk to you about how to heal from the past. How to heal from the past. And, uh, you know, yesterday was past, today is present, tomorrow is future, and we are moving from the past to, pr to the present, to the future. And a uh, lot of what we behave or how we behave today, a lot of our personality is either uh, from our past experiences, uh, from what we have learned, or most of it is just pure genetics. It's either nature or nurture. But either ways, it has to do a lot with our past. Right? And if you look back into your past, there are certain things that you will take a lot of pride in. You know, I was this person, I was that person. And a lot of times, there are certain things that you don't want to even talk about. Right? Uh, just like faith is taught, unbelief is also taught. Just like faith is taught, fear is also taught. Okay? Uh, you, you know, if you... The best example would be, uh, imagine a baby. A baby is not afraid of anything as such, right? Uh, you eventually, you train the baby to be afraid. If you don't train the baby to be afraid, the baby might just jump from a second floor building. You know, that's, that's how it is. So, unbelief is taught, fear is taught, faith is also taught, right? The past experiences, our past experiences hold a great value uh, to who we are today. It holds a great value and it holds a great influence on how we live life today. Isn't that true? Our past means so much to us. And I just want to take you through one story in the Bible, John chapter 4. The story of the Samaritan woman. John chapter 4. And we're just going to backtrack this story, okay? So if you come with me to John chapter 4 verse 39. It says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Many Samaritans believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And what was her testimony? He told me all that I ever did. Think about this. One entire town of Samaritans, they get saved or they get to know about Jesus because of one woman. And this woman, she's not a very influential credible woman she she's a woman who has a dark past but look at this many samaritans believed in jesus because of this woman it's so counterintuitive doesn't make sense but what did the woman do actually okay uh, come with me to verse 29 the woman this is how the woman testified okay come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? What did she do? She went around in the town, in the village, and she said, hey, come around and see a man who, has, who, is, who is just saying whatever I have ever done. You know my dirty past. And he's, he just said that. He prophesied that. Okay, could this be the Christ? And I'm saying, just, just imagine, if you came to, you know, a, a huge a mega crusade, okay, where there are uh, 10 lakhs of people, and you're, you are picked out, and, and, 
and the person who picks you out, you know, starts re recounting all your, you know, dirty secrets. How many of you would be excited? None of us. But this excites her. Somehow Jesus, just revealing her dirty secrets, excites her. Why? Doesn't make sense. So let's see what really happened, okay? Let's see the conversation between Jesus and this woman. From verse 13 onwards. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Now why is Jesus talking about water? Is because Jesus is sitting at the well and it, it is afternoon time and she has come to draw some water. Do you know, nobody in their right sense would go to draw out water during a sunny day in the afternoon. Nobody do, does that. They either do it in the morning or they do it in the evening. So she came out in the afternoon. Do you know why? Because she did not want to encounter the other people of the town. So she came out in a time when there was nobody around. She came out purposely and she comes there and then she encounters Jesus who is already there waiting for her. Right? So she is somebody who is an outcast of the society. Somebody whom people don't like. Why? Because of her dirty secrets. Because of her, you know, bad past. Now see, Jesus is talking to her. Remember, Jesus is a Jew and she is a Samaritan. Jews never talk to Samaritans. There's a bad history between both of them. Jews never talk to Samaritans. More than that, a Jew will never talk to a woman publicly. They say that a Jew would not even talk to their mother, sister, wife publicly in those times. Uh, it, it goes on to such, such, such an extreme where a Jewish prayer would sound something like this. Thank you, Father, for not making me a Samaritan. Thank you, Father, for not making me a slave. And thank you, Father, for not making me a woman. That's how extreme it was. But here you see Jesus, a Jew, he breaks all those cultural barriers and he is talking to her. So this is surprising for her. Understand? This is shockingly surprising. So when Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, talking about the well, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. So that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. My goodness. She had five husbands. And the one that whom she is living with is not a husband. I'm saying, think about during those times, how severe it was. I'm saying, even now, if, if you're in India, something like this is like scandalous. Nobody talks about these things. And 
if you had a similar past, you will never, you know, boast to everybody saying, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm married five times. Nobody does that. Especially in a culture of shame and honor. So I, I want you to picture what she was going through. And right now when Jesus reveals, you know, Jesus is revealing her sin. Jesus just opened the can of worms and, you know, he's just letting things out. This woman does not feel condemned. Somewhere in, in the tone and the voice of Jesus, in how he's communicating to this woman, she does not feel condemned. You know, she does not feel demeaned. She does not feel like Jesus is looking down on her while he's talking. There was something about Jesus that gave her the assurance that this guy accepts me. In spite of my past, he has the ability to look beyond all of that and see me. That is Jesus. To look beyond all these pretensions, to look beyond all, you know, all, all the appearances that we make, Jesus can look beyond all of that and see as you are and say, hey, I've seen your past and I love you. I know what you have done and I still love you. See, Jesus could have just went ahead without sharing anything about the past. He could have just gone and done that. But you know what? The woman would never have felt loved. You know why? It was important for Jesus to reveal all of her dirt. It was important for Jesus to reveal all her past and say, hey, you know what? I see it and I still accept you. That's why, you know, when, when somebody is being a hypocrite, they cannot experience love. Because they're covering it up. And when somebody says, I love you, they think, oh, you know what? You love me because of this pretension. That's not who I am anyways. So Jesus just ripped the bandage off and he's like, hey, I see you. I see through all of that pretensions. I see, you know, through all that toughness that you build up. I see through all of that. And I'm, and I'm still saying, I still accept you. I still love you for who you are. Your past doesn't scare me. And look at this. What, what does it do to this woman? She goes back to her village and she says, she says, and this man said, he just revealed everything that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Do you know that it just brought a revival in that place and so many Samaritans, they believed in Jesus because of this one woman's testimony? Think about that. What is the mess that you and me are worried about? What is the mess that you are holding on so dear, you're trying to forget it and trying to, you know, just, just, just think that this has never happened. But what if Jesus wants to use that as a testimony? What if Jesus wants to reveal his glory? My goodness. Jesus has the ability to heal your story. Has the ability to heal your past. You know, communion, communion is not a ritual, okay? It's, it's, it's not a ritualistic thing that we do over and over again. Communion is a mystery where we believe that we are one with Jesus. You know, in John chapter 6, if you come with me to John chapter 6, ask him this question, what must we do to be doing the works of God? What should we do? Tell me, just Rabbi, just tell me what should I do? To do the works of God. 
and then Jesus goes on to this explanation, okay? And, I, and, I, and I'm just picking up a couple of verses. Verse 32, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. He's talking about true bread. With the Samaritan woman, Jesus was talking about the living water. Now he's talking about the true bread. Verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So the bread of God is not something, it's a person. It's somebody who's come down from heaven, right? Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, you know what? Jesus is talking to Jewish people. And Jewish people are very particular about what they eat and how they eat. And where they eat. Okay? They are very particular. Have you heard of the term kosher food? Kosher? They are very particular about what they eat, how they eat, where they eat. They are they are not like us, you know, we can eat anywhere while driving, walking, sleeping. We, we can do that, but the Jewish people, they are very particular about that. To them now, he goes bizarre and starts saying, listen to this, verse 53 to 56. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Man, it was fine as long as he was just talking about bread and water. That was fine. But why do you have to be so you know, dramatic and so graphical and saying, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. What does he mean? What does he mean? On the, on the day he was betrayed, he takes this cup of wine and he says, this is my blood. This is the new covenant. What does he mean? What does he mean? You know, what does it mean when we take communion? What does it mean when we are partaking of the flesh of Jesus and partaking of the blood of Jesus? What does it mean? Verse 56, just read that last line. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Abides in in me and I in him. When we are partaking from the bread and the blood, when we are partaking from the bread and the wine, we are basically confessing that we abide in him as he abides in us. You know, when you make chai, you mix the milk and the water and they become one. You know, your reality, our reality is that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. There is absolutely no separation. Abide, abide. And Jesus is offering this living water to this woman saying, Hey, you know what? If you drink from this living water, you will have life. You will never be thirsty. If you drink from me, if you eat from me, you will never go hungry and thirsty. 
What is he saying? He's saying that I am life. Let me become the source of your life. Let not money become the source of your life. Let not other relationships become the source of your life. Let me become the source of your life. From where you derive, you know, you, you, you derive your nourishment, from where you derive your satisfaction, your pleasure, everything. Let me become that. Come on, let me become that. Oh, I love this verse in Psalms 27. It says, you know, one thing that I desire, one thing that I desire, that I will dwell in your house. I'm saying, think about this. Can Jesus become the source of our life? Not, I'm not just talking about, you know, just in the spiritual sense. I'm saying in every aspect of our life, can he become the source of our life? And he's saying, eat from my flesh, drink from my blood. Oh, internalize me oh, so that I can, I can abide in you and you abide in me. You are in me, I in you, and we are one. In John 10.30, Jesus says, me and my father are one. Do you know that we can say that about Jesus? Me and Jesus are one. Because of what he has done on the cross. That's why when we, when we do communion, we are remembering, we are discerning the body of Christ and remembering the Lord's death. Why are we doing that? Why are we remembering the Lord's death? So that we can always remind ourselves, hey, you know what? It's not because of our past. It is because of what was done 2,000 years ago. It is not because of what I could and could not. It is about Jesus and what he has done on the cross. That's why Paul says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God unto those who are being saved. It's a message of the cross, you know, because it's a message of the cross that makes us, you know, that, that makes us remember again and again that it's not about me, it is about God. It is not about me, it is about Jesus and he has done it. You know, I was hearing somebody say something like this. The easiest way to get depressed is look at yourself. The easiest way to get depressed is just looking within. Just within your own life without having a revelation of who Jesus is. That's why we look at the cross. And our journey begins by looking at the cross. That's why Paul says, you know, our life moves from faith to faith. The just shall live by faith. If you began this journey by believing in Jesus, then what makes you think that you can continue this journey by be believing in yourself? Believe in Jesus. All the way, believe in Jesus. If Jesus is the one who has taken you so far, believe in him. My goodness. Hallelujah. Come on. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5. I'll end this. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. What does it say? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Come on, say with me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Say with me. The old has the, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Behold, the new has come. Now let me ask you this. When, if you are in Jesus and everything has become new, 
does that mean your past has also been renewed? Does that mean that? It should mean that. Because the past was renewed for that Samaritan woman. Because she goes around and tells people, hey, look, do we have Christ? Because he's somebody who has shared everything that I ever did. See, when you encounter Jesus, your past does not hurt anymore because Jesus has renewed your past. See, we are moving from past to present. Today, whoever I am, my personality, my behavior is so dependent on my past. But when you are in Christ, your past changes because you are seeing your past through the lens of the cross. Through the blood of Jesus. When you see it through the blood of Jesus, my goodness, it doesn't hurt anymore. It doesn't pinch anymore. It does not hold you guilty. It does not hold you ashamed. It does not condemn you. And if it is condemning you still, if it is you know, bringing some shame and guilt, my goodness, you, you, you need to see the cross. You need to see your past through the cross. You need to see the past through the blood of Jesus. That's why Jesus says, eat my flesh, drink my blood, so that I will abide in you and you will abide in me. You know, everybody knows this verse, 5 verse 17, everybody knows, which says, therefore, if anyone is, is in Christ, he's a new creation. But do you know what, what verse 16 says? Anybody knows what verse 16 says? Verse 16 is actually my favorite. It says, from now on, from when? From now on. Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. That means we regard no one according to their outward appearances, their past. We don't regard them according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. We, how do you identify with Christ? You and me I usually identify with Christ with, with the stories of the gospel. And the stories of the gospel is about the three and a half years of ministry that he was doing. And Paul is saying, we used to regard him, we used to regard him in the flesh, but now we no longer do. Why? Because he is seated far above every power, every principalities, every rule, every authority. That's who he is today. And he is seated there for 2,000 years ago. Now, let me ask you something. Is 2,000 years of Jesus seated on the throne greater, isn't that greater than the three and a half years of ministry that he was doing in the form of the fallen man? But the problem is we are constantly, we are identifying more with the fallen man than with the resurrected Christ. And Paul is saying, hey, we used to regard him in the flesh, but now we no longer do so. Why? Because he's seated there. That's who he is. That is his true identity. That fallen man, he came in the form of a fallen man. That was just for a short period, just to fulfill the will of the Father. But that's not who you are. And I want to ask you, whom do you identify with? Do you identify with Adam or do you identify with Christ? Because naturally, it's a default setting for all of us to identify ourselves with Adam. I am weak, I'm a sinner, I am this, I am that. You know, we, we put tags on ourselves because we are identifying ourselves with the weaknesses of Adam. What I mean is the fallen man. Isn't it true? 
So we put tags on ourselves. I'm a sinner. I'm a chain smoker. Uh, I, I, I'm an addict. I'm this. I'm that. But if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Don't identify yourself with Adam. Identify yourself with Christ. Just as he is, so are we in this world. Now, does that mean that you don't have any problems? Yes, we do have problems, but that does not get to define our identity. My identity is secured in Christ. Nothing changes that. See, a Christian, somebody who is in Christ, cannot be an addict. You know what I mean? Let me explain. So, imagine I have a smoking issue. Okay? I have a smoking issue. And I smoked. I went back to the Lord. Lord, please forgive me. And what does the Lord do? He forgives. You know, your slate is clean then and there. But the thing is, the devil brings back memories of the past in a way, making us feel that, that God has not forgiven us. That's why we are like, man, yesterday also I did. I asked forgiveness. Day before yesterday also I did. I asked forgiveness. So it feels, it feels like the sin holds more power in your life than grace does. And because you have not renewed your memories with the blood of Jesus, you know, the devil is able to deceive you into believing that you are an addict. See, the only way to break an addiction is to truly believe in the blood of Jesus. Is to truly believe that God does not hold any trespass against you. What, what gives more power? Believing in grace or believing in the power of sin? What gives more power? You know, if there was a competition between sin and God's grace, grace will win hands down. You have to believe in the power of God's grace over your life. So stop identifying with Adam. Start identifying with who Christ is. Not the one who was doing ministry, identify with Christ who is seated far above every power, every principality, every rule, every authority because that's where you and me are. How to heal from your past? Very simple, look at the cross. Let the cross redefine how you see your past and move along. And every step of the way, whenever you fall, get up. Why? Because the blood of Jesus washes you. You know, the epistle John says in his letter, you know, whoever walks in the light, you know, whoever walks in the light, even when he, you know, when, when he sins, the blood of Jesus washes him. I'm saying, guys, you know, there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing that you and me have to be worried about. There's absolutely nothing that you and me have to hold this burden of sin, hold this burden of condemnation, guilt and shame. You know why? Because your past has been taken care of. Your past has been renewed. Now as you walk, walk in the newness of life that the grace of God gives you. Believe in the power of God's grace over your life. How many of you are afraid? I don't know, somehow I made it today. I don't know if I'll fall tomorrow or not. How many of you are afraid of that? Don't worry about tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Today. Hear his voice today and be redeemed. Let the grace of God, the grace of God that works in you today will sustain you tomorrow. See, most often the devil uses our memories to deceive us. Let him not do that. The next time the devil does that, tell him, mind your own business. 
No, I'm serious. He uses our own memories. Next time he does that, remind him of the blood of Jesus. My past is washed by the blood of Jesus. I am healed. For some of you, it, it might be like a switch happening. For some of you, it might be a journey. But nevertheless, it is the blood of Jesus that will renew your past. Amen? Come on. May God bless you. Let's close our eyes. Father, we thank you for this word. Father, I don't know if we understand what it means to identify with Jesus, identify with Christ. But Father, speak into our circumstances, speak into our hearts, change our hearts, so that we no longer identify with the fallen man, but we identify with the victorious man who is in Christ. For we abide in Christ as Christ abides in us. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.